0: So with another phase of the moon we come together on one prat. Another eight days have passed since the Full moon. It's our habit to use the convention of time. It's convenient for us as human beings to use the conventions of days, nights, hours, minutes, weeks, months, years, to measure... Life and to measure periods of time so that we can use that for discussion and organizing our life. But these are just conventions, punyati, just designations that aren't real in themselves, they're just useful for us. Tomorrow night, the beginning of spring, means that we put the clocks forward one hour. It's a useful convention that we have in this country for the summer time. we measure our life in years another year goes by and so on and these are useful conventions but very superficial and very easy to change them around move them around according to our needs and very easy to get caught up in them deluded by them Ajahn Chah reminded us that the unattached mind, that's seen through the limitations of conventional reality, it doesn't move forward, it doesn't move backwards, it doesn't stay still. It's beyond time and space, and the limitations of time and space, doesn't have a location, Nibbāna doesn't have a location, the unconditioned, uncreated, unattached, doesn't have a location or a place, it isn't bound by time, something from the past, the future just is. It's not bound by conventional reality. We can't put really put words on it. The more we use words to describe it, the more deluded we get, the further we get away from it. As we contemplate, we have to be careful how we use the conventions of the world so as not to increase our delusions and our attachments. Where do our attachments arise? Oh, with these five candas, the upadana kandhas. Basis for attachment and basis for delusion. delusions of perception and you know, we perceive the Candace as a self, as me, as mine, delusions of view, we view the Candace as me, mine, myself, delusions of the mind, the jitta itself, the effect of delusion on the mind. It colors the mind, defiles the mind. The Buddha's path is one of investigation. Looking more deeply, questioning, probing. Not just accepting the face value of things the conventional reality of things but looking more deeply and the benefit of this is that it gives us insight into the suffering and its cause and its cessation in the mind that isn't bound up with say, time and space and conventional reality it doesn't have to experience suffering as there's no causes and conditions for suffering to arise no suffering arises then no suffering ceases, there's just no suffering free from suffering and that mind has seen the nature of the five khandhas as a basis for suffering when they're attached to. Venerable Sariputta once pointed out that the the khandhas you can compare to an assassin in the modern era you might call a spy with a license to kill. He called them an assassin who very sneaky gets to know you works his way in with you to get to know you too until you trust him like an assassin who comes to work for you till you trust him until you're off your guard and you just assume he's somebody you can trust and will have your best interest at heart, but then once he's gained that position and you're off your guard, he kills you. The candors are like that. We trust them. We believe in them. With superstition and delusion, we assume them to be self, believe them and trust them as a self and expect them to be source of happiness. But they, in their nature, cannot provide that because they're that which is subject to decay, dissolution. And we can't control that nor make them any other way because they're also not self. And this is a reflection we can use as we practice and learning not to just accept the face value of our kendas and that habit of identifying with them as me and mine all the time, which causes us so much suffering. As we investigate them we look at them in the way the Buddha Instructed us, asked the question, is this really me, mine? Is this really permanent, impermanent, this body, these feelings, perceptions, thought formations, sense consciousness? Is it permanent or not? Satisfactory and stable or not? Self or or not? This is how we can break through these delusions that cause us so much trouble in life, cause us all our problems. Not taking them at face value, not taking them up at all, not grasping at them as a self. And the candors in their nature are heavy, the Buddha called them a heavy burden. They are a heavy burden, which, if we take up by grasping at them as self, then we have to bear that burden, bear that heaviness, and suffer with it. But the sage sees them as an Ichaduka Anatta, puts down the burden, lets it go, gives it up no longer identifies with the canvas itself. You can compare them to a vehicle, or we say like a boat, a ferry boat, you get on to travel from one coast to another coastline. Useful. But as soon as you leave the ferry, the boat to carry your t- journey on, on land you haven't. don't give it a second thought you don't miss that boat and you don't identify with it as a self it's just a useful vehicle or ship to transport you across the sea to, your, to dry land and then you carry on your trip and you don't look back or t- treat it as a self anymore and this body and mind, these five candors, that's the attitude we're developing as we develop insight and mindfulness, turn to look at them, observe them for what they are. And then there's no suffering. As that wisdom, that understanding develops, there's no suffering in the mind. The more that we drop the identification with the candors, We know them for what they are, we are involved with them, but we don't take them up as a self and we have no burden in the mind. The physical body is the easiest one to see as a burden, as suffering, because every day it's bringing us suffering. As we try and look after it, but we have to remind ourselves it's really just a a spy, an assassin who's out to get us. It can't bring us ultimate happiness. We can't trust it, because it's constantly bringing us pain and dragging us back to the world as we identify with it. When a body dies, nobody wants it. If you go and have a look at that, Corpse carcass of the deer in the forest, you don't even want to go near it. it's so smelly. You don't even want to touch it, you have much to do with it. You have to make yourself go and look at it, and be with it. Any other corpse would be the same, your own corpse later on. the person you love most in the world, if once they die, their corpse similar. Stranger is similar. Anybody, the body of anybody is like that. Something you just don't want. Once it's dead, it's not wanted. Nobody wants a corpse. So the whole world is happy to bury corpses or cremate them. Nobody has much argument with that because a corpse is unwanted. make a certain attempt to beautify and clean it up before the funeral, but once the funerals happen, then nobody wants to keep it any longer. Except perhaps the corpses of a a pure monk, sometimes they keep them in a glass coffin. The power of samadhi and the power of insight in some miraculous way takes away the smell and helps to preserve the corpse. So sometimes we do, out of reverence, keep the corpse of a teacher. But generally nobody has any argument discarding a corpse. That's just pointing to the truth of the candas as Anicca dukkha anatta. And yet while we're alive we keep identifying with this corpse, this, this corpse to be as a self we trust it and we expect it to bring us satisfaction and that's the delusion that keeps fooling us through our life and Lumpur Buddha used to point to the skeleton and say this is our teaching one who sees the the skeleton in themselves find happiness in Nibbana, in the unconditioned, the unborn, the unattached. One who doesn't, by, by same reasoning, one who doesn't see the corpse or the skeleton in themselves doesn't delight in Nibbana. And they're still being fooled by the nature of the khandas and expecting them to bring them happiness. So they're still under the power of the assassin, the spy, just tricking them, just waiting to get them. But the sage is free from attachment, has seen the nature of this body and the other Kendas as an Ichidukhanatara. So the mind is free, it's light, it doesn't have this heavy burden anymore, it's light. It's unconditioned, undefiled. doesn't have that view of self anymore in the body. undiluted. So they say the sage has no more grief with the body when it does play out and brings its pain, discomfort, its smells and its problems just knows it for what it is without grief and doesn't seek delight in the body and the senses and the sage knows the limitations of the senses. Doesn't delight or have aversion for sights and sounds, taste, smell, and touch. Doesn't delight in you know, or have aversion for mental phenomena, even the refined states of happiness that arise as we practice. The sage still knows them as Anicca Dukkha Anatta. And this is basic right view and wisdom that we can all develop through reflecting wisely and turning our mind to develop mindfulness of our experience of this body and mind on a daily basis. You just take the posture, changes of posture, different postures you go through in a day, just keep bringing mindfulness to posture setting aside all other concerns, other interests, plans, concerns about other people and places, activities you've got to do, but just being mindful of your posture brings you back to the present moment and just seeing this body as as what it is, the four elements composed of air, earth, fire and water. Feelings of hardness, softness, heat and cold. Moving, changing posture, sitting, standing, walking, lying down. Just keep bringing your mind, your attention to posture. It already starts to break through some of that delusion of self and as the image of a person, somebody going somewhere, doing something all the activities we get involved with even in the monastic life we very quickly form sense of self based on our delighting in and aversion for what we're doing what we're experiencing from moment to moment and being somebody, being a monk collecting alms, being a monk meditating, being a monk cleaning and sweeping or doing different activities, studying or chanting. This is still subtle attachment to the body and the kandhas. Sense of a self and somebody being, somebody doing something. When you just become mindful of posture, you're setting that aside and you're becoming more aware just of this body as a body. The movements of limbs and the breathing moving movements of the breath in and out. The subtle changes of posture doesn't matter doesn't necessarily mean we have to sit or stand absolutely still, but sometimes the stillness helps the mind to calm down. Gives us the one pointed state that then when we start to change posture it becomes very obvious and we can see the intention before we change posture and then the movement of the body and the posture change and the different feelings and sensations that brings. But Seeing it in its light of being just the candors at work separating out the sense of self and identification and the sense of being a person in that. There is just the movement, just the change of posture, just the feelings and sensations arising as we change and as we maintain a posture for a while. It's just that much. If different feelings arise within the posture, pain, pleasure, it's just that much. Even just meditating on the posture can bring us all the way through to the area, maga, pala. seeing this posture as an icha dukkha anatta, And the more we become aware of our posture, then the more the mental phenomena, the mental candors come out of that and become clear to the mind, the mind that knows pleasure and pain, perception, memory, thought formations. (coughs) We are knowing at every moment as we meditate here, sitting here right now the mind is knowing but how clearly it's knowing how clear the insight into the what we're knowing depends on how much we're training and investigating truth but we're knowing at every moment sometimes we're knowing wrongly because our perceptions are mistaken and we take them up as a self and we believe in them And we believe in our views and opinions. We like things and dislike things and want things and don't want things. And we become certain ways with our experience. We become this and become that. Become happy and become sad. And the mind is knowing all this from moment to moment. But if we never... Establish mindfulness and investigate to develop wisdom. Then we just accept it, and as we've always done. As a self, and as soon as there's a self, there's a, there's going to be pleasure and pain and suffering and desire and wanting and becoming, attachment and becoming, and more birth, more birth, more old age, sickness and death as soon as we establish mindfulness changes that, breaks through the perception of self, the different illusions that we're normally hanging on to, clinging on to. Brings the mind back to just what is without adding on any deluded perceptions of self. And doesn't feed the thought formations. So uh, just thought formations just fall back down to just basic mindfulness, vittaka, vichara, the mindfulness. In the beginning of the mindfulness of samatha, the practice of samatha, constantly using samatha objects to just train vittaka, vichara, applying the mind to the object and say the breath, sustaining object bringing the mind to a sense of emptiness meaning emptying out all the thought formations based on all these deluded perceptions of self and likes and dislikes and wants and attachments just bringing the mind right back to the vittaka vichara based on in breath, out breath when we establish that train the mind in that and that becomes firmer and piti and sukha start to arise. The mind experiences some letting go and some relaxation and happiness. Eventually that's what leads to one point in this, It's just the mind is knowing the mind from moment to moment based on that. mindfulness of the breathing, as Ajahn Chah said, in drops of water join up to become a continuous stream. Then you can use your Wittaka, which vichas to observe, contemplate, experience of the kandhas arising, passing away. develop insight actually observing whatever it is that arises not just the one pointed knowing of the breath but the one pointed knowing of anicca dukkha anatta in our experience so maybe seeing or hearing or the mental phenomena arising internally thoughts and memories and then imagination but just knowing it's anicca dukkha anatta this is how we train the mind to know experience correctly by quietening it first, quietening all the which vichara, all the proliferation and the thought formations which delude us and confuse us so much, quietening that first with samatha practice and then turning the mind just to See an each dukkha in our experience. So constantly coming back to emptiness. Seeing the emptiness of thought formations. So they pop up, arise and pass away. Emptiness of perceptions, you know, how we our mind colours our experience and labels it and adds on to it. But just seeing perception and memory as that, just seeing memory as memory. Not grasping at it, just seeing it as something arises, passes away. Sense contact arising, passing away. Consciousness arising, passing away. And then back to the body, arising, passing away. The sensations of this body, the functions of the body the pleasure and pain of the body. Using this state of one-pointedness just to see the anicca dukkha of the Candace arising, passing away. Little by little changing some of the way we view the Candace So our perceptions do change even though we're seeing them as anicca dukkha anatta they're also changing. And being trained by wisdom, so the Anicca Sanya, the perception of Anicca, and dukkha Sanya, Anatta Sanya, become more prominent. A super Sanya. These become clear in the mind, breaking through the delusion of permanence, permanent happiness, permanent self, and the, normal obsession and delusion of beauty seeing the beauty and and attaching to it identifying with it as perception changes it's not that you deny what you formerly attached to say the beauty of this body or the beautiful things in the world beautiful thoughts you can have you can still appreciate understand there is what beauty and ugliness are, the healthy body, good looking body and the unattractive corpse, you can see both, understand both, but the mind is no longer deluded and clinging on to just one, it's neither clinging on to the beautiful, which gives rise to lust, if you keep focusing on it. Nor is it clinging to the ugly, to the point of making it depressed or suicidal. It's just in the middle, knowing that there is beauty and there is ugliness. But these are just conditions, conditions of truth. And the mind is no longer grasping at either of them as self, just knowing them as they are. Beauty is beauty. The ugly is the ugly. Happiness is happiness. Suffering is suffering. The good is good bad is bad. Ultimately stepping back with mindfulness and with the mind that is investigating truth just to see both physical and mental phenomena as they are. But to do this, we have to keep putting effort into the practice, keep returning to the practice, being willing to make our experience the subject for our practice. Because the mind in its habit and its what it's used to is always to go to flow towards the way of the world and flow towards sensual attachment, distraction, seeking out, pleasure and trying to avoid pain. Seeking out pleasure through the senses. Seeking interest, seeking distraction through the senses. Getting deluded by its perceptions, views of things. That's the habit of the mind and that's a very powerful habit. Again, this is the the ways of that assassin, the, the trickster, the spy tricks us into always thinking oh this is going to give us happiness and be better than the practice of mindfulness and wisdom and just get caught into a few more fantasies and stories and imaginations a few more moods even moods of suffering we like to indulge in them as self and feel feel moody feel angry or upset feel sad and depressed feel afraid feel anxious and so on even the suffering we attach to ourselves self. We have to be willing to go against these habits, go against the flow of the world in our past conditioning. Be willing to set it aside, willing to summon up the effort, the determined effort to establish mindfulness and investigate to develop insight, rather than just follow along with the worldly flow of our thinking and our moods and our way of behaving, it takes effort because we're going against the stream of the world. It's going against Mara. Mara is always coming up to trick us. Even the Buddha had Mara coming to trick him. We're in different disguises coming along trying to get him to think that this feeling is me or mine. This feeling is pleasure and it's true pleasure that it belongs to me, it's mine, my, my pleasure. But the Buddha's mind is so well trained, so clear, it sees instantly, oh this is the evil one tricking me again. There's no real pleasure in something that is bound towards decay, old age sickness and death, and decay, cessation, fading away. Can't possibly be deluded anymore the mind of Buddha and any Arahant has been trained to the point it just doesn't see that anymore, it's not deluded anymore. But we have to keep working at that, not to give in to these delusions and misperceptions, misunderstandings of truth, always seeking happiness in that which actually is going to bring us suffering, and be willing to keep working with it to pull the mind away, not to give in to old habits of thinking, old habits of talking and acting and behaving. And this is the purpose of the Dhamma Vinaya, it helps us to do this, gives us the training means. So we keep coming back to our Sila, coming back to our Barikama re establishing mindfulness on the object and then coming back to Vipassana, insight. Keep bringing the mind to a state of emptiness, breaking through these deta- 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 attachments and delusions, just coming to a state of emptiness. Emptiness in this posture. There's no self in this posture. No self in the breath. It's just emptiness. Emptiness in our perceptions, our thoughts. Emptiness in our sense contact. Seeing is just seeing. Not grasping at it it as a person, a me, a mind, a being who's seeing and then the delight and the aversion that comes with that. We're just seeing as seeing, hearing as hearing, tasting as tasting, taking the craving and attachment out of experience and bringing the mind back to emptiness. So this is our task to keep bringing the mind to see the emptiness of self in these five kenders. And This is the way we start to expose that assassin, that spy who's been living with us for so long. We normally just take him for granted, <coughs> just trust him and think everything's all right. He's actually he's bringing us to disaster without us realizing. If we keep practicing, we can start to see him, counter him, be one step ahead of him, be ready for him, be a little bit smarter and wiser than him. So I'll leave you with these reflections tonight.